This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, God's Diamond Among Rock, Rewards and Challenges of Single-Parent Adoption While Facing a Physical Challenge. And the author is Sandra McCoy, and Sandra joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Sandra. Hello, Steve. How are you? Now, this is about your adoption of a little boy. He was only four years old, and the struggles, and also the happy ending. So let's kind of talk about, first of all, why you wrote the book. I wrote the book um, over 12 years ago in 1996, and I just began writing after I voluntarily placed my son back into the foster care system. And that was a decision that I did reluctantly. It was the um, hardest thing I ever had to do in my entire life. His behavior, um, angry outbursts, rebellion, just increased um, year after year, and it was just getting out of hand. And then after I wrote the book, I realized that it was a part of therapy for me because of all the pain I was going through um, at that time because what I had to do. And I just started writing um, for six months straight. And um, while I was writing the book, I heard inside of me, God's Diamond Among Rocks. And that is how the title of the book was birthed. And um, I saw my son as that diamond. And at that time, it was so bleak in my life because my son's actions, they were so dark and disturbing. But yet God was showing me that my son is that diamond. And I held on to, to those words. Until this very present day, I still see my son as that diamond. And he's still shining as a diamond. Well, and we'll talk more about his accomplishments uh, since. And now he's 23 years of age and doing well. But let's go back to this time when you adopted this four-year-old boy, this little boy who really didn't like you at all. (laughs) And the real reason that he didn't like me is because he had no transition. Um, I'm very lovable. I love children. I've always, um, my experience is with children all the time. I graduated as um, a teacher in early childhood, and I taught for seven years. But when my son came into my life, um, he, the lady that was going to adopt him, she died, and he was only four years old. And his, her oldest daughter, which was my girlfriend at the time, college um he was hurting at that time and grieving and i told her i felt inside of me that i wanted to be his mom i just felt it it was such a strong impression and um i told her can i take him home for weekends until i get through the foster process and i brought him home the very first weekend and when i was going to return him he told me she cannot handle him and i i cannot bring him back and that was the start of my trouble because this little baby just um, saw me as the enemy, that I just took him away from the only family that he knew. He was only four months old when he went to her mother, and death came, and that's how he came to me. And from that day on, he did some outrageous um, behaviors that um, it, it, was, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. And he was hurting, and I tried. We, we, we did um, therapy. We went to therapy weekly, and and to my church, and and we had prayer over him. But everything seemed like whatever we were doing wasn't getting to him. But no matter what, he was someone that I I grew to love from the depths of my heart. I didn't know I could love someone like I love my son, although he didn't come from my womb. Well, I'm sure that little boy was very, very confused, as you know, and as you experienced. And you had this, this, I guess, God-given ability to see through it all and to see into his little heart and to understand, like you say, there was a diamond in there, but it needed, uh, well, you know how you make a diamond, you go through a lot of heat 
Yes. A lot of pressure, right? <laughs> you yes. make a diamond. It takes a long time, too. But you could see that. Now, how, how could you see that? How did that happen, Sandra, that you could see through this and know that there was really the sun was going to shine someday? Because um, I have God has given me an insight about children, and I also was educated about children. So I have such a strong passion and love for children that I love them so much. And when he came into my life, he was so beautiful. His physical appearance was so beautiful. But then um, the potential that I saw in him, he was very polite. He spoke very well. And he, I, I don't even know how to explain this. He was very obedient when, when I asked him to do tasks. When he was around me, he was very obedient. Because when he was not in my sight, he became out of control. That's where I had the problem with him in school, in church. He would, um, and because he was feeling so much pain, he would throw chairs. He would hit kids. He would trip children. He did a lot of outrageous things. But at home, he was the best son I could have ever had if I had a, a birth child. He was just wonderful. I would uh, ask him to do something, and he would do it. He never rebelled in the beginning with my life with him. He never rebelled against me. When he was out, he didn't listen to any authority. He would listen to me, although I was still a stranger in the beginning. It's when it was coming down to the end of maybe the last few years of our lives together before I had to replace him back to foster care. The rebellion and, um, you know, not listening to authority started creeping into our house in such a way that he became so defiant with me also and not only with others. And so, but he was very polite. Um, I've never seen um, such great manners with a, um, a, a little boy. And he would do what I would ask him to do. And I showed him a lot of love and affection, and he showed it back to me as much as he could because he was angry at me a lot because he saw me as the villain. And But I saw that in him. And because I love children, and I do a lot of things for the children, because I was a teacher at that time. And so I knew how to reach out um, to a child. And although sometimes I didn't get it back, um, you know, he didn't give it back to me, I just loved him unconditionally. And I had practiced before him because I've always dealt with children. I had God's children. But he was just, he was a wonderful little boy. I, the only way I can explain it, that he was the best son I could have ever had, except for the dark side of his because of his anger and pain that he could not explain. From just being yanked out from a family that he knew, and he, felt, he blamed me that because at four years old, and he had just turned four, he just believed that I stole him from um, the family that he always knew, the only family he knew. And no matter how I explained to him about foster, he was too little to understand that, that they were just this foster family, and the one that loved him, she died, and she he, he couldn't understand that. And no matter how much I told him I love him, I'm choosing him, he thought I was the enemy. But I, he, he, he was a beautiful little boy, and he was so polite, and he was wonderful. Well, it's so difficult for many children of that age and older to obviously be adopted. That's one of the big challenges, I guess, adoption agencies face because parents often just want a, a newborn baby. They don't want to have to go through what you went through. That's correct. And before he came into my life, I have a vision that I'm pursuing. Um, since the age of 14, I would like to build a home in New Jersey for abandoned children. And I was going to go for the abandoned babies, but um, it's for any children um, of whatever age. And um, I started a nonprofit organization called Touch Love Ministries Incorporated. And that goal is to build a home for children. So before my son came into my life, um, all my intention is to adopt as many children as possible that's available to adopt. And I know that right now there is still um, a crisis of older children needed adoption. And I want to provide a home for those children. And just like my son, this time I'm going to have a staff. And I'm going to have people to work with me so that I can keep those children and nurture them and have someone to help me. Because I was alone at the time, and I do face a physical disability. I walk with a walker now. I wasn't walking with a walker with him. But gradually, 
you know, I, um, I've been using a walker for eight, eight years, but it has not deterred my dream and it has not killed the passion that I have for children. Yeah, because it's, it's very, the, the problem is a lot of these older children, they're, they're not adoptable, but I want them. I want them just like I wanted my son. Often people who adopt a young child kind of uh, probably go through a time where they kind of feel like, what did I do? I mean, I shouldn't have done this. And they start feeling sorry for themselves. And that's one of the reasons you wrote your book. I wrote my book. You see, I always wanted my son, but there were times that his behavior was extremely out of control that I wanted to know, why did I get myself into this? But that was the only reason I thought that was because of the pain he was bringing to me because of the pain he was feeling. Because I've learned over the years that hurting people hurt people. So he was a hurting little boy. So because, and he was so young and he was such a baby that he was hurting me, but he didn't really know how much he was hurting me. So there were times I thought, what did I get myself into? But believe me, honestly, I have no regret. If I had to do it over again, I would do it over. You say that the, you want readers to learn what it means to persevere, what it means to be strong and courageous in the midst of difficult circumstances. Yes, that, that's correct. Um, I, I want them to know that um, just the way I went through it and God brought me through it, that they can. I learned so much about persevering. I learned so much about not giving up. I know that... Um, I want readers to know that they, you know, I want to encourage them not to, you know, they can be pulled out of a pity party, the woe is me mindset, and, you know, give them a boost that they can do this. They can keep pressing on and tap into their God-given strength and potential to make it to the finish line no matter what they're going through. And that, you know, especially those that are parents, biological parents, those that are adoptive parents, Know that no matter what the child is doing, that if you keep loving that child, keep speaking life to that child, and, 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 and letting that child know that they're valuable, that they can see a favorable outcome. Because today, I'm so proud of my son. I was proud of him then there. It was just a lot of pain we were going through because I was trying to reach my son and didn't know how to reach him. And that's that what caused me a lot of pain. So I cried many nights. And many days, I even cried with him. I held him and I cried with him because I felt like a failure sometimes. I felt, how in the world am I going to reach to this individual who I've learned to love so much? And But he, there are times that he just wouldn't let me in. But yeah. until this day, I, I, I stood by his side. And today I can say that my son and I have a beautiful relationship, and he calls me often, and it's just wonderful. Now he's 23 years of age and married and has his own children. As to, he blessed me with two beautiful grandbabies. I may be partial, but I think they're the most handsome <laughs> grandbabies in the world. You often felt, I'm no Wonder Woman. I can't do this. Why did God choose me to do this? Yes, I felt that. I had, I had no idea. I, I thought um, God had a sense of humor. I thought God had a sense of humor. And I wasn't laughing at times. I was not laughing. I did more crying than laughing, but but I saw now I can look back and I can thank God for, you know, bringing this um, little boy across my path because it, it threw me closer to God also because even in the mistakes I made because they're not perfect, there are times that I felt I was making a lot of mistakes, but I just kept going to my son sometimes and when I felt like I probably was too hard, I would ask him to, um, to forgive me. I learned that before he came into my life. You know, I let my, I respect my son. And with that, he, he gained a good respect for me also. And I just, I just didn't understand why God would choose me. Um, I was a single mom, you know, facing a physical disability. And he, he sent an energetic son into my life. Uh, a boy with um, many challenges. But um, as I said, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I really felt this was the plan of God, and I'm glad that yes, I, I, he gave me the best son I could ever have, 
And right now, I'm still single, and um, I just want to fulfill my call of my destiny and my assignment. And it's to love children. It's to love children. And my son is the only family I claim. I have a big family with sisters and brothers and all that. But uh, my immediate family, that's my son. My son and now his wife and his, his um, two sons, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the legacy that he's going to leave um, because he carries my last name because he's legally adopted. And I couldn't have asked for a better son. I and, couldn't have asked for a better son. And on your 36th birthday, what a wonderful surprise and what a great birthday present. Tell us about it. Well, um, he, it was going to be my birthday, and he said to me, Mom, you know, I want to do something for your birthday. And I said, well, you know, um, we can go out. I said, we can go out and we can, um, you know, have a date. And so I gave him $20, and he was so excited. And I don't know if I have time to just read this little section of um, the birthday. It says, my birthday and on page 147. Since my birthday was approaching, and Titus was saying to me, Mom, I wish I had some money to take you to dinner. Titus had to... Titus had not taken my advice to save the money that he, he was given. His allowance was on hold because of, of his increasing feelings. I would periodically reward him with money for doing the right thing or for his schoolwork. He was getting um, a weekly allowance until he wasn't getting a weekly allowance until he could control taking money from me and others. Being a loving mother and because I saw his potential, I gave him $20 that afternoon. When he came home from school, this was on my birthday, and I said to him, here is the money to take me out for my birthday. And he said, oh, thanks, Mom, and his face lit up. And that evening, we went to Pizza House, and um, we had such a beautiful date. He, um, I had, of course, the baby at the time, and we, we got dressed for the, um, the restaurant, and he... He put the baby in the car. He opened the door for me. That's what, that's what I'm saying about his mannerism. He had excellent um, manners. And he opened the car door. And when we got to the restaurant, he opened the door. And I allowed him to, to play the part of my date all the way. And he asked for a table. I told him how to ask for the table. And we sat down. And after we did our orders, he was getting ready to go to the um to the register to pay for the meal. And I said, no, son. And I, we just had a big laugh. I said, wait till we eat, and I'll give you the cue when you can go up and do it. And he did everything that evening. We just had a, we had a blast. It was just a wonderful evening. To be honest with you, it was the best date I ever had. Now, I was engaged twice. I kicked them both to the curb. But he was the best date I've ever had. And my son did such a beautiful job. It was one of the highlight moments of my life. For the um the six and a half years we had um some um other highlight moments, but that was one of the best highlighted moments of my life. And that evening we just had a wonderful day. We went out, we went home together, and it it was um a, a memory that I'll never forget. San- I will never forget. Sandra, tell us how to get your book. You can get um anyone can get my book by going to my website www.touchloveministry.org, or you can go to Author House. Um, let me get the information about Author House. That's fine. Just, you're just telling AuthorHouse.com, right? AuthorHouse.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, and, um, and, or you can order at 888-280-7715. Well, thank you, thank you, Sandra, for being on Author Talk. A great story, and congratulations. Thank you very much, Steve, and you have a wonderful day. That was Sandra McCoy. She is the author of her book, God's Diamond Among Rocks, Rewards and Challenges of Single-Parent Adoption While Facing a Physical Challenge. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. 
They flourish on a secluded farm 3,500 feet above sea level in Hinotega, Nicaragua. These coffee beans grow in the shade of hardwood trees and banana plants, thriving in the rich organic soil. Shade-grown coffee grown at higher elevation has a better quality. There are two benefits, a slower growing cycle for the plants that allows time for the sugars in the bean to mature, and the natural composting from the nitrogen-producing canopy. And now you can order this international gourmet coffee online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com. Order 12-ounce and 16-ounce bags or save with a discounted price by ordering in large quantities. Three different coffee beans available, Arabica, Marigold Gaipe, and Green Oro. Prepare to enjoy the richness and the soothing flavor of some of the best-tasting coffee in the world. Order online at NicaraguasBestCoffee.com and enjoy Central American flavor, aroma, and richness of Nicaragua's Best Coffee. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Leaving Home, and the author is Judith Hudson, and she joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Judith. Hello, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the show to talk about Memories of Jamaica, but this is fiction, but it's based on a lot of your experiences growing up in Jamaica. Now, why did you write your book? I wrote the book because my nephew was born and I was so fascinated with his birth that I decided to write a book. And then I just imagined what he would be like as a 12-year-old. <laughs> so that's how I came to write the book. Now, this setting of Port Antonio is just a favorite place, uh, a vacation spot. When you were a kid, your family took you there. That's correct. That's so, where we used to go on vacation. So that has a lot of great memories for you. Yes, it does. Now, you, were, you grew up in Kingston. Correct. Now, where is Port Anthony compared to Kingston? Port Antonio is on the northeastern side of the island, and um, it's, you know, about, I would say, an hour's drive from where I live in Kingston. So we used to go there on vacation, enjoy the beaches, and so on. Now, your main character is Todd Christian. Now, tell us about Todd. Todd is a 12-year-old, and... He lost his father, so he is searching for a father figure. So he tries to set his mother up, so to speak, on anyone who he thinks might be single. And they sometimes <laughs> get him into a lot of trouble. Lots of trouble, I'm yes. sure. Yes, but uh, mom, is mom ready to get remarried? No, mom is not. Or if mom is ready to, to remarry, she wants to find who she wants to marry. <laughs> she doesn't want her son to be a matchmaker. That's correct. Now, 
Todd seems to really enjoy the river. Tell us about the river. His father, Todd's father, before he died, also enjoyed the river. So Todd didn't know his father because he died when he was a baby. But the river, to him, somehow brings him closer to his father. You know, when he's on the river, he can relax and feel as if his father is there with him. So the river is sort of a place of comfort for him. And a lot of fun. Correct. A lot of uh, shrimp? A lot of shrimp, a lot of playing around, (laughs) a lot of rafting on the Rio Grande. So these kids, his, uh, Todd and his friends, uh, they love to play on the river, and they also like to ke- catch the shrimp and uh, have uh, some shrimp dinners, I guess. Yes, that's correct. Right on the right on the river. That's that's. I think that's what every twelve-year-old loves to do: is fish and and play in the water. Correct. You have a desire to help people learn about the Jamaican culture. That is true. Yes. Yeah. Now, tell us some special, special, unique aspects of the Jamaican culture. Uh, what I, the most unique aspect is the way the people talk. We talk a language that is called Patois. And at the back of the book, because there's also some Patois in the book, and at the back of the book they can go if they don't understand, and it will tell them what it means. So I think that is unique is the way we talk. And they might, you know, find that a little funny. And again, they can go into the back of the book and, and find find what it means. I think our culture is more than the beaches and the hotels. I think it's mostly the people and the way they interact with each other. Now, they speak English, but this is a special dialect? Yes, it's a special dialect. And- what, like when we are together, we speak it. When we are in school, we speak English. But, you know, when we are by ourselves and joking and laughing, then we talk this patois. Now, Todd has uh, a sister? Yes. Just an older sister? Yes, his sister is 16. And she is a very serious student, not like Todd. Todd likes to play a lot, but Zara, is that how you pronounce her name? Yes, Zara. Zara is very, very serious. Tell us about Zara. Okay, Zara is 16, and she's very serious, and she wants to be a doctor. And why she is like that is because the mother expects her to be like the bigger sister to Todd. So in the beginning of the book, when Todd is coming from the river, you you might see her scolding him as not to go to the river because she is sort of like the, the, the second mother when their mother is not at home. So she sort of sometimes overdo it and take her responsibility a bit too serious. But she helps to keep Todd in line. And Todd probably loves his sister but doesn't like her to be another mom. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Zara looks a lot like her mom. Well, Todd thinks she looks a little bit sometimes like, like her dad. But he says, she, she, I think she's both, both. He thinks she, looks, he thinks she has her mom's eyes. He thinks she has something else for her dad. You know, it, it's a cross between both. Now tell us about Todd's friends. Okay. Todd's friends are Malcolm, Malcolm and Jacob and Fritz. Uh, they are also his river pals. They are the ones who join him on his raft when he's going down the River Grande River. And they are friends, but they sometimes get Todd into trouble because Todd is not allowed to go to the river. But his friends always want to take him to the river. And in one part of the book, they took him to the river, and he fell into the river and got wet. And then he had a hard time now explaining to his mom why he got wet when he's not supposed to be at the river. So even though they are his good friends, they sometimes get him into trouble. 
But these are worry-free times for these young people. Correct. Just a, a, a lot of fun and just enjoying their youth and especially on their raft. Now, they call their raft. Tell us about the raft. They call their raft the Youth Friendship, because, which stands for United Friends. And what they think is that they have a bond. And they, what Todd had hoped is that they would have grown whole together and spent all their lazy days at the river. So the, the, the raft is also something that bonds them together, and they call it the United Friendship. And it was actually made by one of Todd's friends, who was also his father, River Buddy, as well. So it was made by Uncle Joe, who is the storyteller in the neighborhood. Now, Uncle Joe plays a special role in their lives? Yes, Uncle Joe is also a father figure because he was the one who uh, sought a help to raise Todd's father and taught Todd's father everything he, he knows. So Todd looked at Uncle Joe as a, a father figure, someone, again, who he thinks will, you know, draw him closer to the memory of his father so he could know, you know, the character of who his father was. Now, they also talk about and sing about the river's beauty, the Rio Grande, is it Grand or Grande? Rio Grande. Rio Grande River. They love the beauty of it. Yeah. What do they sing? What do they sing about? They sing about the river's beauty and what it is like to go down the Rio Grande. I mean, do they make these songs up? No, they don't. That is actually a folk song in Jamaica. Raffing down the Rio Grande, oh ho. Me and my friends going down the Rio Grande, oh ho. So it's sort of like a Jamaican folk song. So when, when we have, like, tourists come to visit and they're raffing down, then we will sing that song for them. <laughs> now, how long is the river... The river is, I would say, approximately uh, maybe two meters. I'm, I'm not quite sure on that, but I know it's a, it's a long river. <laughs> but I don't quite know the estimate of it. Now, there's another friend, Natasha. Yes. Tell us about Natasha. Natasha is also 12, and she moved in the neighborhood. She didn't grow up there like Fritz and Malcolm and his other friends. She sort of moved into the neighborhood and Todd took a liking to her. And one of his friends also liked her, but um, he didn't know she liked him as well. He thought she liked the other friend. But in the end, she ended up being his girlfriend. So she was, you know the one that he and his friend almost had a fight over. All, their friendship almost came to an end because of Natasha. Boy, girls always cause problems, yeah. don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Among the boys, especially. Yes. A pretty girl, especially. Yes. Now, is there a time period a uh, of as uh, far as you talk about 12-year-olds, but is it just about when they're 12-year-old, or do they you, do you write about them growing up? No, it just stays at 12 years old. Because hopefully I hope to have a sequel and I can move along as to, because it is set in Jamaica, but it ends when he's leaving Jamaica for the United States. So hopefully I hope to do a sequel when he moves here and he's a little older. And then he goes back home and visits his old friend. Now, does his mother ever marry? No, not in Jamaica. <laughs> but hopefully in the sequel, she will get married. What are some special experiences that Todd has, some special, let's say, scenes in the book that uh, help him maybe understand life better or understand his friends better or some kind of maybe even challenging times that helps him understand life better? I would say when Todd went to um, camp, 
because he has always been with his mother or his sister, and his mother is a very overprotective mother. But when he went to camp and she wasn't there, and he met this camp counselor who was very tough on them, I think that's when he grew up, when he sort of became a, a, a young man at that time because he didn't have his mother and Zara there to protect him. He had all these strangers around him and he had to do what they say so that he could fit in. Now, what kind of tough things did this camp counselor require of these boys? Exercising, um, hiking up the mountain, swimming, learning how to swim, learning how to, to, you know, be young men, how to save lives, CPR and all those things that he didn't know about. So he learned how to save someone's life, and he actually saved someone's life at camp. Another boy was drowning, and he saved his life. And the CPR that he learned at camp, he learned that he performed that to save a life. So things like that help him to mature. Now, you talk about your description of the story. You, you use the word patriotism. Why do you use that word? I use that word because Todd thought that Jamaica and Port Antonio was all there is. And his love for his country and that place, you know, that's all he thought. Like I said, he thought he would become a man there. He would grow up with his friends and all of that. And his heart was broken when he found out that he had to leave to come and live in the United States. So he felt as if everything that he knew and loved it was going to be taken away from him. Why did he have to leave? His mother got a job because his mother was a, a, a English professor, and she got a job in the United States, and she accepted that job, and they had to move. So he had to leave his friends. My uh, goodness, yes. very, very, very <laughs> difficult. Yes. And Natasha. Yes, and Natasha, the the girl that he just met. So how did he handle that? He. He struggled a bit, and he couldn't understand it, and he, like I said, he always got into trouble, and sometimes he got Zara into trouble. And at the end, he wanted Zara and him to come up with some grand scheme to stop his mother from going. But in the end, he saw that, you know, there's nothing we could do. So he just had to accept the fact that, you know, he was moving on. You say that some of the more challenging parts of writing your story was to really help readers visualize the beauty of Port Antonio. Correct. Why was that so difficult? Uh, I think also because most of the time when people come to the island, they spend like they're secluded. And they only see, like, the tourist areas, and they only meet, like, a certain amount of people, and they only see a certain part of the island. And then this book will show them this, the people, how the people interact, not just the, the, um, the scenery, but these are actually people, you know, on the island. And this is some of the things that they go through. Judith? Judith, tell yes. us how to get your book. Uh, my book is available in Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, Books & Books, AutoAuth.com, and wherever else books are sold. Do you have a website? Yes, my website. They can go on the AutoAuth website, which is AutoAuth.com. Or if they want to get in touch with me, they can come on my website, which is Judith Hudson. 123 at yahoo.com. Well, Judith, we appreciate you sharing your story on this part of Author Talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was author Judith Hudson talking about her book, Leaving Home. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. 
Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Seven Proven Steps. How to Defeat Stress Without Going Through the Embarrassment of Counseling. Ways to Deal with Major Life Crises of Divorce, Separation, Bankruptcy, Job Loss, Scandal, etc. And the author is Dr. Joe Tao, and, uh, and Dr. Joe joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dr. Joe. Hello. Good to, ha- good to have you with us. Now, we're going to talk first about your professional background, and, and you're a medical doctor, and you've been dealing and helping people with stress for some time. Yes, that's right. Actually, um I start with my, uh, uh, my school, my education, I went to school in a, a small country of Malawi, and then I got a scholarship from there to study in Australia, where I uh, uh, did my medical school and got my medical degree there. And uh, after that, I had to go back home and uh, work uh, in my country. And from there, that's where I got the experience of uh, working with lots of people. Uh, who had been involved in various situations, including stress. And uh, I featured in a lot of programs there, even on radio, uh, because a lot of people tended to like the way I worked with them uh, in dealing with stress. So basically, um, I qualified in 1998 as a medical doctor and started started working there, there and then people with various ailments. And as you know, people who are involved in major uh, illnesses also do have a lot of stress, as well as a lot of other issues which are involved in their lives. At the end of the day, um, I became more interested in helping out not only in their medical uh, conditions, but as well as uh, in uh, helping with their stress conditions. And uh, uh, the fact that I had been on radio and most people started calling me gave me a lot of motivation to actually... um, I'll write the book about it. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's how I got to write the book. I now, may stop there. Now, you're on the radio in your homeland in Africa. Now, tell us where you live. Well, right now, I'm actually not living in uh, my home country. I'm actually uh, living in Botswana. This is another African country, which is uh, um, uh, close to South Africa. 
but uh, I've traveled uh, well. I've worked in many countries and uh, over the world. Like I've been to the UK, Spain, um, Poland, Nigeria, um, various parts of the world where I've been involved in a lot of work on stress as well as other medical issues, so to say. A lot of people become very desperate, don't they, when they're under a lot of stress? Yes, they do. They become very desperate. Actually, uh, most, of, most people go for, for two things straight away, alcohol, and some of them think of taking their lives. And this is exactly what I preach against in this book. Uh, because getting into a crisis uh, does not mean that uh, one should... Uh, has reached the end of their road. Uh, if we may take the words of uh, Frank Roosevelt, who put it, when you reach the end of the rope, tie a knot and hang on. This book actually helps you to learn not only to tie a knot, but also to hang on. But it also shows you how to use the same short rope and knot to make a new life more successful. You say that rule number one is... Don't give up too soon. That's right. That's right. Rule number one is simple. Don't give up too soon. And then uh, rule number two basically is a continuation of rule number one, which is it's never too late. Basically, that's what it's all about in this life. Why is it so hard to not give up? It, you know, obviously there can be so much pressure. There can be so much adversity. There can be the unexpected uh, just, you know, life is not fair at times, it doesn't seem. You know, life is just too hard. Why, why do people just give up? Well, you know, most people, when they reach uh, the climax of their crisis, uh, solutions seem not to be uh, near, and there's usually nobody to come forward to help. And when it reaches that state, most people, uh, the first thing people think, about is to take their lives or to give up. And uh, basically, they forget that uh, life is all about learning. And it's through this uh, type of crisis that we grow. There's no one who has grown in their life without having to experience some kind of difficulty. And, well, some people may say, my problem is just too big, I can't handle it. But it's actually, the bigger the problem is, the more you learn and the more you grow. Like I say in those... Uh, two rules is that all stressors are minor and um, yeah, basically that's what people should uh, take. All stressors are really minor. So you have the different steps. You have seven proven steps and the first one is spot the problem. Now is that often difficult to really zero in on the problem? Confusion uh, is something which comes first when somebody is under stress. They really cannot identify what exactly they are dealing with. They can understand that they are in some kind of a difficulty and they are stressed. They can't have the appetite. They can't eat. But uh, to exactly pinpoint what the problem is, is very difficult. And actually, to solve your problem, the first thing which you have to deal with is actually to... Uh, to uh, do this, to engage in a process which we call in this book intellectualization. Once you engage in intellectualization, you kind of sort of sorting uh, what is the main problem, pinpointing the problem, and then laying forward the solutions. So most people tend to actually get confused and uh, really not identify and probably uh, take those minor things in their lives as if they are major. So they tend to start thinking, worrying too much about the minor things, when actually what they have to deal with is actually the, 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 the major problems. So you have to engage in, uh, in that process, and that's what we are trying to explain in this book, how to actually sort your problem. And within the first two days, you should be able to actually really work out what your main problem is, and then work out how you're going to move your life forward from there. And that's what this first step is all about. It uses actually uh, some well-recognized and proven uh, psychological um, strategies uh, to actually deal with this step. Now, step two, you talk about maintaining insight, and you 
uh, have a uh, section in that step two called the serenity prayer. Now, why is this serenity prayer so important to maintain insight? Well, the serenity prayer is very, very important in that it tells uh, the one in crisis first and foremost that uh, they cannot be a solution for everything. And that's what most people do not recognize. Most people uh, uh, try to solve things which obviously there's no solution to. All you have to do is uh, to learn how to live with them. So if you spend a lot of your time trying to worry about something which there's no solution for, it really doesn't help. So the serenity play is a well-known um, uh, strategy which psychologists have adopted and they apply it in their uh, in their uh, 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 strategies to solve and help people who have got uh, stress. You also mentioned in step three, you must recognize your strengths and another important part, happy moments. Now, I can, I think that's a, a very good focus. I mean, to, to know what your strengths are, but also to be able to focus on happy moments. That's right. Uh, knowing your strengths will actually help you to uh, be at your best in solving this uh, this problem which you are in. And uh, if you utilize those uh, happy moments, it will give you high uh, self-esteem, which is what you need at this moment. You don't want to be depressed and uh, be in a very low uh, self-esteem and think that you're going to climb the mountain, which is so uh, high at this stage. But then also, to recognize that uh, your happy moments are going to part of your solution is very important because most people when they are stressed they'll engage further into depressing themselves by thinking about things which will depress them further but if you start thinking about things which make you happy uh, uh, is it uh, talking to your partner is it uh, cooking is it dancing is it exercising whatever it is if you engage in those things, certainly you're going to uh, spend most of your time not worrying and actually solving your stress. And you know, it's got uh, also a um, physiological component to it in that if your body releases uh, some substances which are called endorphins, uh, you tend to uh, be in a state of uh, kind of euphoric. You, you become uh, euphoric. And if you're euphoric, your stress levels tend to go down. And when your stress levels go down, your brain works at its maximum in solving your uh, whatever stressors you're having. It's kind of uh, an effect which uh, some people get from opiates. The only difference is that uh, this is uh, natural and it's not addictive. Now, why is exercise so important in dealing with stress? Exercise is very, very important in dealing with stress. Uh, one of the first reasons is exactly what I've just been talking about, endorphins. Uh, when you're exercising, your body releases a substance which is called um, uh, endorphins. Uh, these endorphins, like I said, they tend to put your brain at, your ma- at its maximum in uh, uh, working so that you really basically become very bright. Um, I don't want to say that your IQ increases, but it works faster. And also the same um, exercise makes it easier for someone to sleep. You know, most people, when they are stressed, they can't go to bed. Well, they may go to bed, but spend lots of time in bed turning around, not getting any sleep at all. But uh, if you exercise, you realize that you tend to sleep easier. And sleep is one of the most important things that everybody needs when they're under stress, whatever type of stress it is. And hobbies really help to deal with stress. Hobbies, you got to get into hobbies. If you are not getting into any hobbies um, which are good, then you won't deal with stress. Because stress, what it tells you is move away from whatever uh, hobbies or habits you have been having and go into good habits, uh, which will certainly later on uh, change you and make you a different person. Uh, And uh, like John Dryden said, we first make our habits, and then our habits make us. What you're trying to make yourself now is a successful person who is not stressed anymore. So 
you got to get into hobbies and uh, and habits. And uh, um, once you get you get into good habits, which are eating good eating habits, exercising, uh, good living habits, move away from uh, drugs and uh, alcohol and drugs, and uh, eating a bad bad eating habits. If you get into good habits programmed, for example, if you start a habit today and uh, you repeat your actions for about 21 days, you should be able to um, to be able to uh, uh, have uh, automatically gone into a habit which uh, you not have to think about it anymore. And once you, once you do that, it means automatically you're moving away from all your stressors. You're going into a new life, so to say. So many people use alcohol, coffee, tea, chocolate, you know, caffeine-loaded uh, soft drinks. Uh, obviously, it's only a temporary fix. Of course, uh, coffee, tea, uh, uh, chocolates, uh, they have caffeine. And caffeine is a substance which is not good uh, in that it's addictive to start with. And... Um, also, it suppresses how your body works, your nervous system. And uh, so, if you take those substances, you actually going to get a temporary relief. Maybe during the time you are taking it, you might think that you are feeling better. But afterwards, the effects are worse now because you have to deal with your addiction as well as uh, uh, your brain and your physiology actually doesn't work at its maximum anymore. And once that happens, once that happens, is that uh, uh, you are not going to be able to deal with the stress effectively because you need to be at your best when you're stressed. Now, you also have in the appendix, you talk about a burnout scale. Just in the closing couple minutes, tell us about the burnout scale. Well, a burnout scale is... Um, something which scientists, psychologists have uh, developed uh, to help people who are under stress to evaluate their stress and uh, be able to know at what stage they could be able to do what, whatever intervention, whether it's to seek help or to do some little changes to their lives. So this is basically what the burnout scale is. Um, on this scale... There are issues like um, if you feel tired more easily and uh, you feel fatigued, uh, it, you classify, you rate it, basically. And uh, uh, one of the other things is that some people might be observing you at work, for example, and they might be telling you that you are not looking well lately or something similar to that. And that also is something which you can rate. And there are a few items there uh, which are rated. At the end of the day, you get a score. If your score is between 0 and 25, generally you are doing fine. But if your scale is somewhere around 51 to 64, it means you're actually at a critical point. You need to put these strategies into action more effectively, the strategies that you learn in this book or any other strategies that uh, have been proven to be effective. But if your scale is over 65, Basically, what it is telling you is that not only is uh, your stress high, but your health is at risk, and you definitely need to seek professional help, like seeing a doctor, psychologist, or social worker. Well, Dr. Tao, tell us how to get your book. Well, my book has been published by Author House, so you can get it through um, uh, authorhouse.com, but uh, most people tend to like using uh, amazon.com. So if you go to Amazon.com online, you can be able to get the book. But all other major uh, bookstores um, in USA as well as uh, in the world, as, as well as in my home country of Malawi. In Malawi, you can get this book at Maneno Bookshop. That's uh, what uh, uh, three spots in the country. Well, we appreciate you sharing all your insights. And we appreciate learning about your book, Dr. Teo. Thank you very much. Thank you. I also appreciate being on the show. That was Dr. Joe Tao. He has published his book, Seven Proven Steps 
how to defeat stress without going through the embarrassment of counseling, ways to deal with major life crises of divorce, separation, bankruptcy, job loss, scandal, etc. 